0: A Diabetes Chat is for anybody who wants to improve diabetes care, education and support. Join our informal chat to be informed, inspired and motivated to do your bit to improving diabetes care, education and support. No issue is too big or too small for us or our chatsters. Hi, I'm Jane Lehman, registered nurse and credentialed diabetes educator.
1: I'm Kiralee Chambers, Advanced Practice Pharmacist and Credential Diabetes Educator. Hello, Kiralee. Hi, James. What are we going to be talking about today? So today I thought we would talk about how accessible health services are for people with a disability and why we need to make those services more accessible and what can we do to help people with disability. Sounds like it's right up our alley. We've been doing this for a while now.
0: We get to work with a lot of people with a
1: disability. What sort of disabilities do we see people with? Lots of physical disabilities as well as disabilities with health and also from a mental disability as well, wouldn't you say, James? So psychosocial, yeah. intellectual disability. Yes, very much. Cognitive disability.
0: So yes. people who have got, for example, multiple sclerosis or one of the other conditions that cause neurological deterioration. Yes. And people with early dementia as well. We get to see quite a cross-section of people in our work and we thought we would reflect on some of the things that we've seen and how and why we need to make our services more accessible for this group of people.
1: So not just our services, but I guess pharmacy services, doctor's services, home medication reviews. Yep. Another Community one. nursing. Yeah. Nurse
0: practitioners who are working in primary healthcare, but also the hospital and accident and emergencies. The health system is made up of lots of shop fronts. Mm-hmm. And those shop fronts need to be inviting to everybody in our society. Yes. It's always good to do a bit of a self-audit and stand at the front of your service and think about what it would be like for someone in a wheelchair, thinking about someone, for example, who may be on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can't get the insights ourselves because we haven't lived that experience. How do you think we should get feedback on how accessible our services are,
1: Kirilita? If we tell your personal story, Jane, I used to be a pharmacist and used to pack for your daughter, right, as a Webster pack. And I had not ever seen your daughter, Sarah, in the pharmacy. And we used to do a Webster pack for her, yes, her weekly medications. And when I came to visit you at your house was the first time I had ever met Sarah. Yeah, because Sarah yes. happened to be here that day. Yeah, I visited you and Sarah was here. And I had said to you that same day, it was great to finally put a face. It sounds horrible when I say this, but yeah. it was great to finally put a face to the tablets.
0: I remember yeah. you looked at me and said, Everything makes so much more sense now. Yes. What were you thinking when you said that?
1: I think it was more that I could relate what I was packing or what I was checking with the tablets to the person when I met Sarah for the first time. So it makes, rather than Sarah, just this pack of tablets to a person, and it makes it easier to understand why we're packing the tablets and why those tablets were packed in the way that they were packed. Yes. So it makes not pharmacists more compassionate, because I believe that we are that anyway, but it makes it easier to see why we pack the packs that we do and the tablets that we do. And we process so much information as
0: health professionals from what we see. Correct. How a person walks, how they act, how they speak. I know as a nurse, I watch how people walk up to me. Correct and I will be able to smell if they're keeping up with their cleanliness or they perhaps have a wound or fungal infection. Yes. Being face-to-face with somebody means we can provide a better service, doesn't it?
1: Correct. Absolutely.
0: So if we were looking at how accessible the health services are, I would have to say as far as the pharmacy on one level they're incredibly accessible because you don't have to take your child into the pharmacy if they have a tendency for behaviours that you're worried about and you can get the Webster pack done. You know that you've got a professional reviewing them and sending them out. That part of it's accessible. Yes. How accessible would it be, though, if I was taking Sarah into the pharmacy at the time?
1: It's very accessible, but often it gets missed for people with disabilities because often the carer will go and pick the pack up. Yeah. And it it's often deemed easier for the person with a disability not to attend the pharmacy because why would they need to?
0: And people think, you know, they're saving that person from having to go through that stress and themselves. But you're also stopping someone, if a support worker does that, you're stopping someone from living their life. Yes. Creating spaces where we feel comfortable to take someone with, for example, an intellectual disability and psychosocial disability is it sets the health professionals up to be able to do a better job. It sets the person with the disability up to live their life. And after we had that experience, a light bulb went on
1: in my head.
0: And I remember saying to you, you never see people with disability very much.
1: No, and the other thing that people with disabilities miss out on significantly is services like home medication reviews and yet people with disability are often on a significant amount of medications or medicines that need home medication reviews?
0: I would have seen hundreds of people with intellectual disability now and I would have to say it's rare for someone to have had a home medication review. Yes. So you do have to question how accessible services are when there's that bigger cohort. We all know that for a home medication review, it's the doctor who does the referral. Yes. But it can also be, for example, the pharmacist or a nurse or someone else who identifies that they don't have that and can suggest it. Correct. I suspect if People looked at the number of people with a disability on their books, and I talked about this specifically at the PSA Annual Therapeutic Update in Newcastle this last weekend. So for those
1: that are listening that are not a pharmacist, PSA is the Pharmaceutical Society of Australia. Thank you for de-jargonising.
0: That's okay. They invited me to join a panel talking to pharmacists around improving their services and making them more accessible yes and that was on the back of the launch last year of medicine safety disability care safer medicines use in people with a disability now that was launched in july last year And. What they identified or brought together in the report was the fact that 90% of people with a disability, at least one medication, but we know from the ones we see, they would be on up to how many?
1: Oh, Anywhere from 10 to 15, maybe 20. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's a polypharmacy, plus, plus, plus. 60% of people with a disability require assistance in their daily life. Now, that means a lot of them would require assistance to come into a health service. Yes. They're relying on a number of other people for the quality of their health care. Yes. So, for example, with Sarah... She relied on someone to book her appointment, take her there, be able to set the health professional up to be able to deliver the service with whatever information or questions they asked. She relied on the health professional being able to do that within a context that they could then go back and do and to know also when to come back to see the health professional. That's without even thinking about how you put into place how many people are involved in every step of a person with a disability accessing a health service
1: or service delivery. And I also find unless you're involved with people with disability – a lot of the time we find it difficult to communicate with people with a disability. Yes. You're the expert, Jane, in, in doing that. One of the things that I found very difficult before I started working with people with disability is how to have a conversation. They often do need extra resources to enable us to
0: let them process the information. So sure, you can talk to someone and say things. Even if you bring it down to a lower level, it takes much more skill and expertise within your brain to be able to decode what all of that means. People with a disability are very good at nodding and saying yes because they want to please people. Yes. That doesn't mean they've understood what you're talking about. Yep. One of the things we talked about actually on the weekend, even with home medication reviews or just having a chat over the counter, being able to do a conversation with pictures Mm -hmm. makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of ways you can create, for example, a simple body chart and one that doesn't Look scary,
1: like our medical no guns, do they? they do look very scary don't they? <laughs> they
0: really do. they look like aliens, yes. front and back, yep, having a simple picture of a body, you can ask someone what happens with their tummy, and you can point yep. to the picture, yep, or look at the body if this was you, what hurt, yep, and you could have a picture of hurt, yep, do you represent that with an unhappy face or. or bad uh, face? Exactly. People with disability love Band-Aids, usually. (laughs) They do love Band-Aids. I'm still quite partial to a Wiggles Band-Aid, Kira. I do like a Wiggles or a Mickey Mouse Band-Aid. That reminds me of that story when we had to get the ambulance for you um, and, yes, and yes. the paramedics kept yes. putting Band-Aids. Band-Aids on your fingerprints. Yes. Band-Aids can heal all ills yes. and that should be remembered in a pharmacy Yes, because no, if someone's got something that's hurting, yes. use the things that people know. And recognise. Yeah. I've actually been thinking about this. I'm going to create or find a body chart that we can put up for you to use and we're going to put some of the symbols for hurt or diarrhea or yes. that sort of thing that'd be great for metformin
1: for people who yeah. have an intellectual disability so
0: diabetes educators nurses pharmacists doctors exercise physiologists any health professional who's listening to this or person who knows someone with a disability could pass this on to them to be able to use it. So I'm going to commit to actually creating something. Right. We can kickstart people being able to do this. Now, the reason I want to see people communicating more and seeing this group is we know people with intellectual disability are dying 20 to 32 years earlier than someone without an
1: intellectual disability. A so frightening statistic, really, isn't it?
0: Now, my daughter died two days before her 26th birthday. That was too young. Absolutely. So well, I have skin in the game for this. Yeah. And so do many other people who might be listening. To lose a child in that way. If our health services start to see these people, why do you think that they are dying so much earlier?
1: Well, it's the inability to be able to access resources, healthcare professionals, medications, side effects, and to be able to have the capacity to communicate all of the things that are happening to them. The statistics would back
0: that up because double the potentially avoidable deaths in people with intellectual disability compared to those without. I would venture to say a fair few of those happen in our health services. Absolutely. For us, the worst place Sarah could ever go was emergency or hospital. That's where she was at most danger.
1: And we know statistically, again, people with type 1 diabetes don't ever want to go into a health service because they feel that they are and this was the only popular time I would use the word control, Mm. they lose control of their health because people try and take that away from them. They do. And they have the ability to communicate. So imagine what that's like for someone that has an intellectual disability. Who's scared. Yep, and doesn't understand what's going on and loses the familiarity of their surroundings. And potentially
0: suffers an abuse. Yes. By, for example, refusing their insulin because they're scared and don't know who these people are. One thing you do have to remember with this group of people, assume that there's been either physical, sexual or some other kind of abuse or violence in this person's life. Yes because my experience says that even Sarah was pulled along the ground to move her from classroom to classroom. Totally. That was in a special school with people who knew her. And I wrote the booklet on child protection for parents. I knew what I was looking for, but she came home with bruises. And when I hear about people being held down, a code black cold, that person's held down to be given their insulin, I just, I, I get really
1: upset. Mm. That's assault. Mm. It doesn't set them up long-term to want to have their mm. insulin needles at any point. And it? not surprisingly, they refuse community nurses when
0: they leave yeah. hospital. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Like, if you've been assaulted, and you know what gets me the most with this situation is that they don't use any low literacy communication no. resources. No. They don't find out, why they don't want and they can't tell you quite often yeah, they
1: don't understand but if you had
0: pictures yes. saying are you feeling scared yes would you like your support worker to come and help yes or would you like the person that would normally give you your
1: injection yeah yeah
0: so there's we're not communicating in a way that that is accessible and that's how we become inaccessible inhospitable and
1: unable to deliver good health care and that's why they're dying so early. Yeah, yeah. An awful way for us as a health profession and health professionals mm. to be able to communicate and communicate well. And they're very much unseen.
0: Yes. So you know how you were talking about the Webster packs? Yes. Most organisations would have a a group of people with intellectual disability that they know of from their medication packing.
1: What percentage do you think you actually see I don't see any, oh no that's not true. We, I work in one pharmacy as a diabetes educator that we often see people that are encouraged with a intellectual disability that are encouraged to come and pick their packs up. But that's, that's only one place. So I would say it's less than 5% of people with disability that come and pick their packs up.
0: Because I said, and I was being generous on the weekend, I said that I doubt that they would have seen 50%. Oh goodness no. And I said I would venture and I, I had to be careful because Yes. I'm a nurse yes. Yes. and I'm talking to a rubber pharmacist and it's not about their practice, it's about how unseen people yes. with intellectual disability yes. are. So it's interesting you say 5% I would you. because I, I would have gone as far as 75. That's horrifying, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah.
1: And it's also interesting that, you know, as diabetes educators, the area that we're seeing rapidly explode now is people with schizophrenia because Mm. the medications that we use unfortunately causes weight gain. Bipolar is another one. Yeah. And so we're seeing... People unfortunately get type 2 diabetes because of their medication. And again, this is an area where packs are used often, Webster packs. Yes. And then added to that, they, they get type 2 diabetes because it increases their weight. And so again, these are people that are often not seen in general community because they're put in, they're put on packs. They're often using depot medications or injections to help with the management of their behaviour. And so this is an area that is just exploding in pharmacy because they're living in the general community. Yes. And unfortunately, again, this is an area that we're seeing more and more and more. So general pharmacy are seeing them, RDNS are seeing them, community nursing are seeing them. They're being managed in the
0: And support workers
1: disability support.
0: We're seeing them. Yes. Thank you, NDIS, because that means that now now there are services that can yes. start to create strategies to
1: unravel the complexity yes. of some of these people. Yes, but they're seeing them lots. But as you say, even though technically the words we're seeing them, we're not really seeing them no. per se. We're seeing, their past. seeing them patting pat. And if you're lucky, you see us. your photo. Yes. But really, we're not seeing the person. We don't get to have a general conversation with them. And even when they do come in to pick their packs up, it's like, oh, hello, Mr. Jones. How are you today? You, you'll be lucky if you get a, an answer back. Yes. They pick their packs up and, they, and then they vanish for two weeks. Yes. And then they come, you know, they're, they're coming in once every two weeks just to pick their pack up.
0: And the group of people with mental health challenges. Also, high rates of smoking.
1: Oh, yes. And high, high rates, rates of um, alcohol abuse, high yep. rates
0: of drug abuse. Anything to get them out of their head. Right. Correct. That group of people we're seeing now increasingly on insulin yes. or GLP-1s, which has yes. been a nightmare with the world shortage. Injectable medication. Now, yes. let's just do a little caveat here yes. around the GLP-1s. Yeah. Can everyone please be careful as the stocks come back into the country for this group of people, pharmacists and nurses and doctors, please get people to go back and see their doctor and start from the beginning again with the titration of this medication. If you hop back in, at the medication dose that they were up to, what can happen, Caroline?
1: So there's side effects of the GLP-1s on the high dose, nausea, vomiting, diarrhoea, constipation. And if they've been put on other medication like insulin and the medication called the SGLT2, which can cause ketoacidosis if they get dehydrated, which nausea, vomiting, diarrhoea, constipation can do, then they can end up in ketoacidosis. If they're put on a DPP-4 inhibitor, which is the other medication that's in the different class but can cause pancreatitis if again they get dehydrated or they're put on the glp1 at the same time and can cause pancreatitis then we're in all sorts of trouble or if they're dpp4 and a sglt2 and then they're put back on the glp1 at a high dose they can end up with pancreatitis so there's all sorts of problems Or they're put on insulin and put back on their GLP-1. They don't eat as much, which can cause hypos, and their GLP-1 drops their glucose levels. Mm. Then they can end up having hypos. So there's all sorts of problems now happening. Yes, and they need to really start on the lowest dose and increase if uh, if they're put back on their GLP-1. So please send them to an educator or back to their GP. We really have to manage this medication to make sure that the combinations that they've been put on while these medications have been out of stock is yeah. either ceased or managed appropriately.
0: We we really don't want to see people on SGLT2s getting diabetic ketoacidosis. Absolutely
1: not, or pancreatitis is the into
0: hospital with a like
1: serious life-threatening
0: conditions and this group of people wouldn't have heard the warnings that are going out in the media to people who can make decisions for
1: themselves correct and won't recognize the warning signs no. either and probably don't understand that their glucose levels can be at the normal end. or yeah. you know non-significant end of elevated levels but can still end up uh, with ketones and probably yeah. not managing their, in their ketone levels
0: and haven't been given the sick day information no. on how to watch for it but dehydration and sglt 2s are dangerous yes absolutely so you start giving them diarrhea with their medications and you've got a bit of a recipe for disaster There's a lot that we can be thinking about. There's a lot of reasons to start to look at how you can improve your communication by targeting the group of people with intellectual or cognitive disability, bringing them into your health services. Because if they're not seen, you can't be catered for. Correct. And then start to think about what will help you communicate with that group? And certainly with home medication reviews.
1: are oh, so undervalued. I don't understand why anyone who's on five or more medications. And don't forget, medications include over-the-counter medications, which can be anything from the supermarket, from a pharmacy, from the internet, which is why pharmacists go out to the home because then they get a general look Mm. it's also don't forget we go out to the home because we can check for dangers in the home that we don't see when the person comes into the pharmacy or comes into the doctor's surgery so it's a Mm. general scope for you know, is there something going on in the home that the average person would not be aware of? So it's a general double check or triple check for something that might not be seen. And I think there's a form of
0: discrimination going on in this space in not fulfilling the human rights of people with a disability to good health care. I agree. The people we've seen on assessment have not had home medication reviews done, and all of our clients are complex. Yes, absolutely. We probably see the pointy 1% of people with diabetes who have these complex disabilities, complex living situations, complex communication issues, and... To be frank, I'm surprised some of our clients survive. I agree. Because they have been put in circumstances where it is so dangerous that ambulance are being called all the time. They're bouncing between severe hypoglycemia and ketoacidosis. That means that they're in life-threatening situations frequently and we're having to respond Yes. and try and unravel all the reasons for that. Being able to identify where there's services that people aren't getting that they need becomes really important and there's a range of resources available that can help you with that. I would encourage all health professionals to get hold of this Medicine Safety Disability Care report from the Pharmaceutical Society of Australia. We'll put a link up on the website for that. But also the have a look at the link to the National Diabetes Services Scheme. There's a range of resources that I helped create and I actually do the introduction oh, lovely. on the website. There's some that are for health professionals around communicating with people with intellectual disability about their diabetes. There's also a course that people can do for their professional development points, and that's using real case studies. Mm. De identified, of course. Yep. We'll put a link to those up there as well. The support workers who look after this group of people have got limited education around supporting people for basic health care. The importance of a really good diabetes management plan, what do you think makes a difference with the training of staff and diabetes management plans for disability support workers, Kirale?
1: I think, again, good education about diabetes, good education about what's going on for the person and also good support for both the support worker and also the person with diabetes and understanding where to go when they've got questions, understanding the resources and where to go when they've got uh, questions because you know we know diabetes is not easy, it's complex, it's complicated and type 2 diabetes is progressive. Mm. so it's it's you know it's not a one size fits all, that's the issue, isn't it?
0: We also see quite a few people with genetically linked diabetes,
1: yes, as well,
0: and certainly for people with maturity onset diabetes in youth, their degree of insulin resistance is phenomenal. Yes. Because we get to see a number of people with these conditions, we start to get a better idea around the management strategies that will work and can help facilitate that. Don't be afraid just to, to ask someone if you can contact their other health professionals and share information because it makes a big difference if you find out something that you can then share. And it's all part of being a bigger team wrapped around the person. So you won't have a team all in one place, but you'll have multiple people. So we do all need to communicate with each other and I guess the diabetes management plan ends up being a blueprint yes. for a person's diabetes
1: care. Yes, I think it's also important to understand that you're not competing against each other, you are like you say a team and sharing of that information is so important. Yes, If people have got clients with an intellectual disability or psychosocial
0: disability or any kind of disability and they're with the National Disability Insurance Scheme as a participant, please share our details with them and we can be part of your team as well. Yes and work with the client on the disability side of their mm-hmm. diabetes. So we'll put some information up there about our services as well, I think. Yeah, that's a great idea, Jane. Well,
1: hi. our usual wonderful chat. Yeah. That time went so quickly. It did. As we say, we need to do this more often and more frequently. We've actually got them scheduled this year yeah. for monthly. Extra bits we've discussed during the podcast will be on the EdHealth website. So go to www.edhealth. you can search for p2 diabetes podcast to find all the extra bits that we've talked about which includes the body chart the psa medicine diabetes care you can also obviously search for ed health which we've talked about on that edhealth.com.au and also the ndss resources
0: there's going to be heaps to get you thinking about it. We
1: would love you to leave a
0: comment below and like the podcast or share it with your team and networks. We really want to change this statistic around 20 to 32 years, decreased life expectancy of people with intellectual disability. And we hope that you'll play your part as well.
1: And if you want more information about the GLP-1 issue, we have done a
0: podcast before? Uh the the one before. Yeah. And people have really enjoyed that podcast really I've had a lot of really good feedback. Yes. Because but we I'm said not... all the stuff no one usually says. Yes. Oh, well,
1: that's, that's not really us really, at all, yeah. is it? No. <laughs>
0: Not if around. there's a dark, shabby corner, we're there. Well, that's the only in the room, isn't it, Jane? And that's oh, why no. our chatsters love us, because yeah. we're never afraid to go where the dark shadows live. Nope. P2 Diabetes Chat, if you're a newbie, explore our previous episodes. The titles are bound to intrigue. We keep our P2 Diabetes podcast to around 30 minutes, so you can listen on your work commute when exercising, in the office doing paperwork, or on the weekend when you're clean the house yeah
1: right (laughs) and
0: if we're joining you cleaning the house what a good job you're doing but for now it's goodbye for me jane lehman and
1: goodbye for me kiralee chambers stay safe and chat soon